to the Strive with Grow podcast. I'm your host, Nate Reach. I created this podcast to interview individuals who, in my eyes, have the Great Wolf mentality. You may ask, what is that? Simply, it's individuals who don't allow their circumstances or disability to define them. They dust themselves off and say, matter of fact, I'm going to accomplish more than I ever thought possible, and no one is going to get in my way. On episode 9, I'm joined by Greg Stewart. He has many accolades to his name, like his 2019 silver medal at the Parathletics World Championships. Yet, his accomplishments don't define him. He approaches life and sport in the same way, having less expectations and soaking up life for what it's worth. Talk about how disability doesn't define you, parallel movement as a whole, Rule 50, mental health, and how he has navigated through this journey called life, plus much more. Without further ado, my conversation with the vulnerable but powerful Greg Stewart. Greg, my man, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on, my man. Absolutely, Nate, man. I'm super, super looking forward to this chat, connecting with an icon like yourself. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So thanks again for having me. Yeah, man. First off, how you doing? Dude, I'm doing really well. Had a really good chat with, uh, you know, Carla. You know, our high performance uh, coach or director for para-athletics here this morning. So, uh, you know, that was actually a great way to kind of start off the day. And then I uh, just came from Cairo, uh, you know, a good uh, hour-long session, you know, awesome. with the Cairo to kind of, yeah, limber myself back up. And, uh, yeah, but I'm, uh, I'm about to enter my down in my training program. So I'm just kind of gearing up to get lots of sleep coming up, so. Absolutely. I'm feeling good, buddy. Good. I love that. I love to hear that. And to give you know some of the listeners a frame of reference, I would love to hear a background, um, what it was like being Greg growing up, and a little bit about your um, disability, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, like Nate said, my name is Greg Stewart. I am a an F46 shot putter. Uh, so what that means is I'm missing my left arm below the elbow. I was born that way. I'm 34 years old old now um i'm also seven foot two so uh you know my height and my arm have definitely played a very very big important role in my life um you know kind of growing up as a kid uh you know i've always been supported my whole life through my family to you know just kind of challenge myself do what um, i want and if there's something i can't do well at least give it a shot right? Don't be your own limiting factor. And so, you know, my family's always supported me through, you know, getting through the tough times and stuff like that, but also kind of being there to be like, Hey, like, you know, why don't you give this a shot? You know, why don't we try something a little different here? And so, uh, you know, I've been, uh, I've had that support all the way growing up, but honestly, my, uh, my arm as of the age of 14, my arm didn't play a very big role in uh, my everyday growing up because at the age of 14 I was six foot eight uh, and so honestly my height actually took over in place of my arm and it was pretty neat because I would literally be having conversations with people you know when I'm 16 17 years old and then all of a sudden bring up my arm and they'll be like oh wait I didn't even realize you had one arm right just because you know height is such a uh you know people see that as a as a difference you know obviously people see my disability as a difference but my height is definitely my uh biggest contributor to uh literally and figuratively seeing me so 
uh, I kind of had to deal with that forever. Uh, but one thing that I found though, in those kind of teen years was, you know, being somebody who is disabled, uh, all we want to do is fit in and everybody in life, you know, whether you're abled or, uh, or not, um, you just want to fit in. You want to be a group of something. You want to have that guidance. You want to have that support and everything like that. And so when you get outside influences coming um, in and being like, in my case, Hey, like, Hey, you should play basketball. You should do volleyball, stuff like that because of my height, you know, and the fact that I was disabled being like, I really want to fit in. Of course, I'm going to follow in those steps. So what that outside influence was telling me, yeah. but the problem with that is when it's external, it's really hard to find happiness externally. The only place you can really find true happiness is internally. And so I battled that for a really long time, um, up in, until almost like 30 years old. And so, uh, but yeah, that's kind of a quick idea of like, you know, what, uh, my life was like growing up. Now I'm a shop putter. I absolutely love what I'm doing. Uh, you know, I have a great teammate like yourself and, you know, all of Team Canada supporting us all the way through this uh, crazy wild journey we've been on here since COVID back in March. And um, yeah, I'm just grateful to still be able to get out there and train and uh, do the thing that I really enjoy doing. So Yeah, no, I love that. You said that beautifully. And I know you and I have kind of talked about this, but I always... Um, love talking about the re relationship between expectation and acceptance. Um, obviously, you talked about acceptance there, and I know you used the quote um, on your uh, new Instagram page, what would life look like with, with fewer expectations? Um, first off, can you tell me what that quote means to you? And like, how do you balance that teeter-totter of that acceptance and expectations throughout your Absolutely. life and sport? Well, let me just give you a quick breakdown of expectations. Um, expectations are things that we expect others to do or we expect ourselves to do. And what happens is if we meet that expectation, we get that level of like, um, we get that happy endorphin feeling of being like, hey, I, I met what I was looking for. But on the flip side of it, if you don't meet that expectation, that's when you get down on yourself you get harder on yourself you blame other people um, you create what we call resentment towards whatever it was that we had that expectation on and so in a way what that quote was being what if if we what if we had fewer expectations was kind of like if you were to lower your level of expectations you would increase your limitlessness um, because in a way, expectations create limits. Um, and so, and if you don't achieve those limits, well, then you get into a hard place. You, you know, you, you take out really, uh, uh, tend to treat yourself poorly or you treat it yourself as though you're not even good enough to be able to do what you were doing in the first place. Or your, uh, or your, your best friend or your parents or your uh, girlfriend, your boyfriend or whoever it is that you had that expectation of actually creates more separation from them. And so it's having fewer expectations can then allow for more growth and for you to see more. And so what I tend to do for myself in terms of life and competition is I'll lower my expectations. Um, because one, I can't think for the other person. I can't tell them how they're going to respond to things or react to things. I don't know their emotions. Um, 
Second, by lowering the expectations, I now have a wider viewpoint to look at life at. Not like, am I going to be a gold, you know, I'm going to win gold medal versus I'm just going to go and explore and take part in these amazing games and then just see what happens, right? Who knows? Maybe I might get a gold medal. Maybe I'll get a silver medal, but I'm just there to explore and be part of that moment. Because honestly, that to me is what's going to last longer. Right, that experience, that opportunity to take part in something, not the, you know, winning a gold medal sounds amazing. And I, I would, I, I want to win one. Um, but at the same time, I also want to, you know, be more gentle with myself and say, it's not just all about winning a gold medal. It's about the process. It's about being in the moment. It's about enjoying it, everything like that. So I just found that the more that I lower my expectations on things, the happier I am less resentment I have towards myself or other people and a more loving and fulfilling life. I've basically started living. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to kind of piggyback off that, I've always been super fascinated with the mentality or headspace uh, athletes go into the day of competition. How would you describe your mentality or your headspace, uh, you know, an hour or so out from competition and actually in competition? Right. So, um, like I'll give a prime example. So when you and I were in Dubai for world championships, um, you know, we were competing on the same day, almost at the same time, um, and kind of going into, uh, the, the competition day and stuff like that, you know, it was, uh, uh, a lot of support through my coach, through my family, through my friends is just literally just taking in the day, right. Just getting up, having a shower, you know, brushing my teeth, you know, eating breakfast, you know, spending some time with the team, just, you know, just enjoying that. Because ultimately for me, the competition happens and then it's over. It doesn't just keep happening. It's over. You got to, you know, the next day shows up, right? Um, change is constant. And so, you know, why not just enjoy what you can, where you are, what you're doing. We're in Dubai. <laughs> like, that's crazy. This is on the other side of the world for us. And so, you know, that's kind of how I spent my day. And then, you know, come competition, I remember being in the tent in the call room with all the other athletes and just kind of being like, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. Like I'm on the other side of the world. I'm with, you know, 16 other guys from all over the world. I got a good friend of mine, Josh, that's competing for the U.S. He's the number one thrower in the world. Like this is really, really neat. And then come competition, one thing that I've found in my past that really um, inhibits my ability to uh, compete is that I get too serious. That I'm actually putting a lot of expectations out there. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, he threw really well. Oh, I got to throw better than him. Or, oh, he screwed up. Oh, I'm in a better place now. I can throw better. Um, and with all, with all this talk that's going on with me, it creates mind games. Right. And the thing with throwing, and I don't know if anybody knows as much about um, shot put, but you know, you travel across the world for six throws and you have to wait 15, 20 minutes in between each throw as all the other competitors go. So it's a very big mental game. And so I'd actually chosen to uh, put myself back in the current moment. And so I actually had a book where I had a bunch of, I think you had written something in it, but I had a bunch of other athletes and coaches and everything like that. Just, you know, Put some jokes in the book, 
put some encouraging words in it, you know, everything like that. Because what that did is it allowed me to bring myself to that present moment, right? It allowed me to lower that expectation of, you know, I want to throw really far. I want to do really well. Oh, that guy did better than me. Da, da, da. It just allowed me to be here. It allowed me to focus on what was a, a task. In that case, I was listening to a joke, you know, and then when my opportunity came up to throw again, I took advantage of it. I went up there and I did my job and moved on. And so, uh, you know, mental space, I know is definitely different for everybody. Uh, it's unfortunate that we can't lift, listen to music. You know, I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I love music. I think that's something that really kind of gets me, gets me going and also helps me relax. But as you know, in athletics, you know, once you get called into the call tent, you can't have any electronics on you. So it's a bit of a bummer that way, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, uh, it was a really neat experience, but yeah, mental health, mental, uh, space, uh, is different for everybody, but it's plays a significant role. I honestly think it plays the biggest role in whether or not you compete or not. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's, it's kind of funny, you know, I think there's the expectations. There's kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword because sometimes specifically in running, let's say you want to run three, three, three fifty, but sometimes you can run even faster than that. And you find yourself capping yourself. And I think that that's something that I found that's really important that now I don't even usually have goals going to race. Like I just want to run as fast as I can and I want to enjoy it. Yeah, that's the unique thing about competition too, right? Like you train so specifically throughout the year. And then the moment you get in it, like you're, you're literally on a control path for as long as you can. And then you get into your legit competition and now you can't control anything. You can only take charge of what you're doing and take your actions, but you don't know how the other competitors are going to race. Right. I know for sure for running, right. You know, you might have guys that want to run on a certain pace and you're like, this is not a pace I'm used to. Right. Maybe it's slower. Maybe it's faster. Who knows? Right. Yeah. Like, and even for throwing, right. I got to sit there and wait and be like, Oh shit, that guy threw really far. Well, pardon me. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to swear on this, but, oh, um, but yeah, like I, I can control everything up until my competition. And then I basically have to let it all go. Yeah. Cause anything can happen. Right. So. Absolutely. I just want to backtrack really quick. Obviously I don't want to um, be on the disability for too long, but one of the messages that, I love to share and tell is that like not allowing your disability to define you because you're, you're so much more than your disability. And I know you've talked about how pivotal of a role your parents played. Uh, could, could you maybe dive more into that? Cause for me, my parents played such a huge role. Uh, they wouldn't allow me to, um, you know, just stop at a, at a certain point. So I'd love to kind of hear how big of a role your parents played. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, right off the bat, I think, um, well, I don't think I was told. I had a good chat with my folks about, you know, my support and everything and how I was treated growing up. When my, when I was born, my parents had a decision to make right away, right? You know, when, when I was born and I, you know, I come out and I have one arm, right? They have a choice right there and then to make it now, whether or not, okay, are we going to treat him just like we treated, we treat his older brother, or are we going to treat him differently? And they made the initial uh, decision right away that, well, they're his brother, no matter what, I'm just going to treat him the same. Because the unique thing I'm grateful for in my life is being born with one arm. So I don't know any different, right? The way I do things, the way I handle things, move things, whatever, is the only way I, I would ever know how to do it, 
versus something, you know, like in your case, you know, you know, when, you know, after your incident and or accident, I guess, um, you know, you had to relearn a lot of stuff, right? And so, you know, you know, one path and then all of a sudden you get basically a Y or a fork in the road and you got to choose another path again. Um, and I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, I didn't have to go through that, but the challenges I'm faced with are, well, everybody else does it this way. So why are you doing it that way? Right. And so then it's that part, but yeah, like the support from my family just, um, honestly, they just, they just treated me like I was a normal human being, which I am. Honestly, like I always, whenever I'm giving talks to groups and stuff like that, I always ask this question at the very, very beginning of my talks. And I, I ask people, I'm like, who here thinks they're different? Right. Okay. Like color of your skin, the way you talk, a disability, you know, judgments, whatever. And every time, every single person will put their hand up. Right. So then I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, everybody, everyone's put your hand up. I'm like, okay, okay, now look around the room. Everyone sees their hands up. Okay. So being that you all technically are different, that's a similarity that you all share. So therefore, would that not technically make you all very similar? Or in this case, the same. And so I like giving, I like saying that because it's a reaction to a lot of people because it's, there's, People just tend to see, you know, disabled people or people different than them as different. But reality is, is we're all different. And so we share that similarity. And so um, I, I think that's kind of just how my parents had always viewed it, right? Yeah, you might look different, but you're still a human being. You're, you're still my son. You're still a brother. Might as well just, you know, learn how all, we, all, all of us have learned and move forward and uh, create a pretty exceptional life. So don't get me wrong. Like my parents are still hard on me. You know, I still had to like, you know, unload and load the dishwasher and, you know, clean my room and, you know, do all that stuff, you know, but, uh, um, yeah, you know, whether I have no arms, two arms or no legs or whatever to them, it's, you know, you're still a human being and you got to join in the fight just like the rest of us. So. Yeah, no, I, I love the way that, uh, that, that you said that and obviously the route that your parents took and, uh, now let's let's take a look at you know you did compete in able body basketball uh, during uni and then you transitioned back to Paralympic stream sport. I'm just, I was curious how that transition was for you because personally mine was really tough uh, tra tra transitioning from able body to um, Paralympic. Um, so I was just curious how that tra transition was for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I'd say one of the big things that I struggled with. Um, was when I was playing able-bodied sports, it was, I viewed myself as an able-bodied person. Um, I, and I really struggled with identifying as a dis disabled person. You know, I go back, I say this really quick, just because I'm thinking about it, you know, I was supported by my family to be just like everybody else, which I am. But at the same time, I am disabled, right? And I think that's a really important thing to recognize because in a way, had I not gotten to a point to be able to recognize it, I'd almost be kind of creating a fake um, identity in a way. Uh, that's at least by my, my experience and my opinion on it. I'm absolutely, I'm sure other people that faces different challenges might view it differently, but it was something that I really found uh, uh, that I could just be more genuine and authentic about, and I could take ownership of it. But 
prior to taking ownership of it, that transition was really difficult because, you know, I had played university basketball at Thompson Rivers University here in Kamloops. Um, my last two years, I was like defensive player of the year for Canada West and then the top defensive player of the country. Uh, and so, you know, my height definitely played a big role in it, but uh, I also wore a prosthetic. So, you know, everything kind of balanced each other out. Um, so yeah, like, so here I am in a headspace where I'm like one of the top players in the country feeling fully abled and then it all kind of coming to an end and then dealing with the whole athlete identity crisis when we're all done doing our sports, uh, which I think is a very, very huge thing. Um, cause that's how we self-identify, right? Many of us are athletes and stuff like that. And so I've kind of gone through that. And then, uh, one day, a few years later, shot put presented itself. Um, and after having ownership of my feelings of who I am and, you know, knowing that I'm disabled, but still being okay with just being a normal human being, I gave it a shot. Get it? I like it. I like it. Well, you're you're a man full of puns, so. I'm surprised it's the first one I've told. I know. Um, (laughs) So I gave it a shot and, uh, you know, next thing you know, I'm number two in the world and gearing up for Tokyo. So, um, you know, the transition took some time in terms of, so it's little stuff like this. Uh, When you're on a team sport, for instance, basketball, you just show up to practice. You go home, you eat, you show up for games, you go home, you eat. That's just kind of how your life is. You go to class, whatever. When all of a sudden you take part in like individual sports, now you got to like book your own flights. You got to like create your own, like find your own hotel. Like you have to do everything because it's all on you, right? And on top of it, if you're not having a very good basketball game, you get subbed off, right? If you're not throwing well, that's your fault. Like that's on you, man. Like honestly, right? Like it's not your fault, but it's like if you're not feeling it, you're not feeling it. But there's no one to take your space, right? No one to take that place for you. It's it's you, and that's what I found to be really, really unique and really actually amazing from taking on this uh, this challenge because it really, really gives you insights to who you are on an individual basis. And uh, there's been a lot of healing for me in terms of you know transitioning from that team to uh, individual athlete. But a lot of learnings and a lot of really, really cool um, experiences. So overall, the transition was good, but it sucked at the beginning for sure. Yeah, no, I totally connect with. I think I was like fighting this ba- this battle of like, who do they want me to be? Who does my family want, want me to be? And actually, who am I? And so mm-hmm. really trying to find out who I was. And that was such a battle that it took me about 18 months to figure out. I think that's why it was tough in my head. Um, which is, it's interesting to hear that, you know, you kind of had a similar, uh, absolutely. It it totally, it's totally hard. Like it was hard at the beginning. And I still have times even now where I'm like, uh, like there'll be times when I might show, like I'm wearing a sleeveless shirt right now. And I sometimes feel really uncomfortable doing that because I'm like, my arm is very, very exposed. But then I'm like, well, that's who I am. So I look at that part of it and I'm just like, it is what it is. You know, I, I can't make any changes about it. So absolutely. Right. And it's almost like that whole expectation thing comes into play a little bit. You know, it's like, you know, what are these people going to expect of me? Right? Are they going to, are they going to judge me? Or are they going to treat me differently? Da, 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 da. Well, if that's the case, well, I wouldn't want them in my life anyways. Yeah. 
right? Sure. But then I'm like, expectation on myself. I'm like, oh, should I just wear long sleeves so nobody can know? So then I feel bad about myself because I'm not willing to show my true self. Right? It's it's always constant. This goes for everybody. You know, we're always in this place of like, you know, if you want to, you know, if you're a more, let's say, a more mindful person or maybe a little bit more aware, it, it's something that happens on a regular basis. But if it's something you're not mindful in, then at the same time, I guess you don't really know. So yeah, I'm going on a different tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And how has the relationship been with you and Dylan Armstrong? Uh, you know, at, from an outsider, you guys seem very different. Um, and I always thought it was interesting because I see me and Heather is very different. Uh, me being more intense and her being more relaxed and, uh, you know, Dylan seems very intense and you seem, uh, from an outsider's perspective, more relaxed. And so I was just curious how that re relationship has been and how, how has that grown? Yeah, absolutely. I think that Nate, that is a wonderful question. Um, it was tough. You know, it still is tough, uh, especially when you're dealing with differences. You know, I'm sure you get it sometimes with Heather, you know, when she's asking you to do stuff, you're like, no, I'm not doing that. Like, and then you fight through it and you do it anyways. And you're like, oh, that felt good. Or maybe it didn't feel good, but you still stepped through it and you just got it done. All right. And like, you know, for myself, uh, um, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I'm pretty chill. Um, you know, when I show up to train, I'm there to train and then I do my thing and then I'm gone. Um, you know, where Dylan, like, yeah, Dylan's, there's no question he's an intense guy, but he's also a very loving man. Like he is probably, um, like he's huge. What is he like six, three, six, four, three thirty? Like he's a big, strong, one of the strongest guys I've ever met in my life. Uh, for those that don't know who Dylan Armstrong is, uh, he's a, uh, uh, able body Olympic shot putter who plays bronze in Rio in 2008. And so, uh, one of the best, uh, Canadian chop putters ever in history. So, um, that's why I have as a training, but he trained under Dr. Bonderchuk, uh, or also known as Dr. B who's kind of really worked with uh, what's called periodization workouts, peak performance shape. And so like when Dylan was introducing that style of workout to me, I was kind of a little like the hell is this? Um, so like, oh, I'm supposed to peak on this day, but then the more I actually started doing it, the, uh, uh, it started to show and I was like, okay, Dylan knows what he's talking about. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say the big thing for Dylan and I, that we've been creating the most of is just trust or trusting, you know, he's my coach for a reason because he knows what he's talking about. And just for me to learn to trust that and just be in that because, um, ultimately he's been in this situation tenfold to what I've been in you know I was chatting with him yesterday and he was saying that he would go he would do 30 competitions a season like think about that and he did 150 he did he, sorry he did 15 seasons how many is that how many is that 750 That's no crazy. bad math 450 events in his career like are you kidding me like how many do we do in a, in a season I might do 10 exactly right and that's like the high end yeah me like think about when we were going into Tokyo. Yeah. Like that's three. like, that's like, that's like with rounds too. That's not like just solely like, you know, pedal to the metal the entire time. I mean, that's, yeah. that's absolutely absurd. Yeah. Like he had it at one point. He was telling me he went to the U uh, no, not the UK. Uh, he went to Europe 30 times in one summer. You mentioned that. But he no. would like, he would fly <laughs> in, he would fly in on a Friday, compete Saturday morning, then fly home Saturday afternoon. 
That is crazy. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's his story. But like, yeah, I'm. We uh, him and I are definitely very different. But in a way, we are still attracted to one another, right? We are, we're still in this together. Uh, we keep we both keep showing up, um, and you know, making do with what we got. So uh, uh, I'm very grateful, very very grateful to have Dylan on my side and uh, have him uh, giving me the guidance to you know to Tokyo. So. Absolutely. Uh, now let's transition to the Paralympic movement as a whole. Obviously, you've been within the Paralympic movement for for quite a bit now. Is there one initiative or component within the movement that you like to see improve or change over the next five to ten years? Um, so I sit on the board of directors for Athletics Canada, and um, one thing that I'm extremely grateful for is that our CEO David Bedford, he's doing a really good job of integrating abled and para together and i think honestly that would to me would be one of the biggest components is showing that we are all one team canada Absolutely. right and so it's it's showing more and creating more inclusion for everyone you know uh you know it's really it was really cool after these past world championships you know uh, the iaaf worlds were in doha in october and, you know, we got, we were able to watch and like support and cheer on. And then they were also able to do it for us too. And I remember getting support from all over and, you know, that integration, that inclusion, I think is going to be really, really helpful and beneficial for the Paralympic movement, right? Is, you know, just treating everybody the same because ultimately, like I've been saying this whole entire podcast, everyone is the same, right? So it's just, yeah, like, you know, not having the limiting belief that we're all different and we're all, you know, yeah, we all go through different stuff, but realistically, the stuff that we all go through that's different, we're all going through a similar thing in our life too. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That and, you know, having, you know, an amazing, amazing human beings like yourself you know, you know, bringing on this, uh, more, more voice, more eyes to the Paralympic movement. You know, I, I wanted to acknowledge your efforts and your work that you have been doing here. You know, it does definitely speaks volume for yourself as an individual and your authenticity and, you know, taking ownership of who you are, but also how you are reaching out and creating more of a Paralympic movement. And, uh, when you said that, you know, you'd like to have me on it, I felt honored, you know, coming from you because, you do. You mean a great deal to me, um, and I think you mean a great deal to a lot more athletes. You know, uh, with Team Canada as well as athletes across the world. And so, uh, you know, I just want to say thank you for you know stepping up for it. You know, and uh, just swinging away at it because it, it it does it means a lot for myself, and I know it means a lot to all the other athletes out there. So, thank you. That means so much, especially uh, coming from you. Uh, that that certainly means a lot and um i know you and i you've you've thrown this out there with me and it's a kind of a controversial topic um i would love to hear your perspective on rule 50 for those who don't know what rule 50 is it's currently uh athletes are not allowed to protest at the olympics and paralympics um and that has seemed to be a definitely definitely a topic of discussion over the last year um so yeah what is your perspective on that um, well, Rule 50 technically applies to uh, Olympic stream. So okay. um, under the under IOC Rule 50, that's on the Olympic stream. However, the IPC has very similar wording and ruling around the whole concept of um, uh, protesting on the podium or po protesting in general. 
Um, it's a very touchy subject. It's a very, very touchy subject. Um, you know, we tr train our whole lives or we, you know, we train for times in our lives to become the best. And it's almost as though athletes are put on this pedestal uh, of, you know, you know, you think of, you think of the Olympics and stuff like that, right? And how huge of a thing they really are. Um, and then you think of all like the consumerism around it and, you know, sponsorships and everything like that. And those are all, you know, great things because they help make the games what they are, but it's the athletes. That's the reason why the games are happening. Right. And so they are put on this pedestal. They're put on this podium to be, you know, it's the greatest to represent the country, represent the world. Right. You know, like when you think of Usain Bolt, the fastest man in the world, right. Any kid out there will know who Usain Bolt is. And so you have that acknowledgement, you have that, um, uh, you have that audience watching. And so if there's something you strongly believe in and it's being neglected or it's not being discussed or, you know, really bad things are happening from it, this is a platform to discuss it. But then it's something that's happening, but your step, this hit me really hard when we were talking about it the other day. If they chose that you weren't allowed to protest at all, and say, Nate, you know, you have, you're a world record holder, you know, you're the, you're, you are the best in the world. And then you win a medal in Tokyo. And then the guy in third place kneels down or makes a protest gesture. How do you think you're going to feel? Right. You literally been training your whole like four years, five years to be at this stage and all the limelight sort and all of a sudden it's erased like that. Right. That's a really, that's a touchy thing. Yeah. Right. I, I don't even know. I don't know how I would react. Right. Like it's like, it's pretty tricky. Do I think people have the right to protest? Yes. Do I think the games are the place to do it? That I don't know. And so it's, uh, I think there's a lot of things that still need to be looked at. I, I don't know if they should abolish the rule. I think they should certainly amend it you know, look at other ways of doing it. But the thing is what I might, what I might identify as something that needs to be addressed could be completely against what somebody else feels. All right. And that's just what makes it such a really, really difficult thing. Absolutely. How does one thing have more importance than the other? Absolutely. Um, and lastly, before I ask you some more fun and funny questions, um, I was curious what your goals for 2021 were um, specifically asked this question because this year I went about goal setting a little bit different than I have have in the past. And so I'm always curious how athletes, um, you know, address goal setting. Yeah. Um, so a really, uh, we didn't really talk about it, but I have a, I have a, another background in volleyball. So I played 15 years on our national disabled volleyball team. And so, you know, my goal on that team was always make the Olympics. And we, you know, we went to two pair of Pan Am games and we fell short. And so, you know, Tokyo has been my dream since throwing shot put in based on my rankings and stuff like that. You know, it's a very achievable thing. Now with the postponement, it's a little trickier because I was kind of planning on, you know, seeing what else is out there for me after Tokyo. Right. But now it's been another year and it's like, oh, shoot. Well, now I got to, what do I do? So I think my, my goal right now 
is to really just focus in on my health, uh, you know, continuing to you know, do the best that I can in practice, uh, being uh, acknowledging myself at the end of the day, whether or not I had a good training session or not, and just knowing that, hey, acknowledging that I put in the work and that's what matters to me then. Um, and then also just honestly, like, you know, creating more of a, uh, life afterwards, right. You know, creating a, uh, um, you know, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm working on my empowerment life coaching. And so that's something that I really want to, uh, you know, pursue afterwards, especially working with athletes, uh, you know, with the whole safe sport, uh, initiative and stuff like that. It's, uh, from traditional use, a lot of athletes achieved uh, their conscious potential through kind of being yelled at in the past or, you know, kind of getting slapped up across the head, you know, that sort of stuff. You know, that was how people achieved their potential. They just got ripped into by their coach. We can't do that anymore. And so I would like to work with athletes so, and help guide them so that they can see their potential without the need of somebody else to do it for them. Um, and so that when they show up, whether, you know, they're on the track or on the court or wherever, they're already in the mindset that they are good enough and that they can do well because they already are. Well, going back and forth, showing up that they're good enough and that's all that matters. Right. And so, yeah, you know, I'm just, that's kind of the goals, you know, to build more clients and, you know, support more athletes. Um, and, uh, you know, in the end, ultimately compete at what I think will be, I think Tokyo is bigger than any Olympic games ever. Um, you know, being that the whole world was put on a reset or the whole world was putting on a hold, I think, you know, Tokyo 2021 can be and will be the greatest games to show the world that, you know, we're not scared. We're not in this place of fear that we are one giant group of loving, amazing human beings that are going to show that we can conquer anything. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, now a little bit on a lighter uh, note, uh, I have eight rapid fire questions for you. Eight. Uh, Holy. You know, you're, you know, you're, you're a big deal. So I, you know, I, I got to make sure I get, you know, the wide range. So first off, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? Best piece of advice I've ever received. Um, without conflict, there is no growth. Love that. Uh, chocolate milk or regular milk? Oh, come on. Let's be honest here. Oh, shoot. That's actually a tough question. <laughs> <laughs> I love chocolate milk, but I also love milk. Okay, here's a question. Skim chocolate milk or homogenized chocolate milk? Ooh, that's a good question. What's homogenized. For okay. sure. Yeah. Okay. Indian and then on milk, just homogenized too. I like it. I like it. Um, if you could have three people over for dinner, uh, who would they be? Uh, this is like anyone from history, anyone dead, living. Uh, who would those people, three people be? Uh, it'd be my grandma. Uh, she passed away uh, back in 2001. Uh, my papa who passed away in 2000, uh, sorry, 1999. Um, and then honestly, it would be like family members. It'd be all of my past. Like I keep thinking of like, Oh, if you said four, it'd be all my uh, deceased grandparents. 
just because I would love to be able to sit down with them and experience them at an adult age, right? Just to be, just to understand what my family was like, you know, learning about, you know, what, why we do this and why we do that. And just being in that place of humor because my family's crazy. So, um, yeah, ultimate, you know, to me, family is my greatest thing. So, Absolutely. and Morgan Freeman, I think, I think everybody wants Morgan Freeman just to like, just so he can talk to you. Yeah. So you can like sleep while he talks to you. <laughs> Who do you admire the most? Those are, these are good questions, Nate. Um, depending on the situation, but I would probably say my dad. Just in terms, my dad was in the RCMP for, well, he was a cop for like 40 years. You know, and being a cop right now is a tough place to be. Uh, but just to see his, um, how he showed his value, how he presented himself, how he, you know, supported people, not took it, uh, took um, advantage of them. You know, I think my dad is honestly one of the biggest people I look up to and I admire. So I love that. Love that. Um, and Dylan Armstrong, because he's honestly what's getting me to where I'm going. So I do look up to him. I love that. Uh, what is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Turn off my alarm. Your favorite book? Uh, Daring Greatly by Brene Brown. If you could teleport anywhere in the world, where would you go? Just like to this current place? Like in this current time? Yeah, correct. Ooh, teleport. That's a very, very good question, especially during these times. <laughs> Where would I want to go? Um, are people allowed to teleport with you? Or are you just going by yourself? No, people can teleport with you. Okay, cool. Um, probably somewhere nice. Like, I don't know, Canary Islands or... Nice. We were chatting about maybe doing a camp there. I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one is you're stranded on an island by yourself. What three things do you bring a car door because just in case it gets hot you can roll the window down stick your head out the window and cool off um a knife probably my girlfriend so good somebody call. to chat with you know teamwork good call uh yeah. and then so i have two final questions that i ask everyone on the podcast first where can people find you on the socials yeah handles Absolutely. So you can find me on uh, Greg R. Stewart on Instagram, or you can follow me on my uh, business page of Empower Life Coaching, or check me out on Facebook. But awesome. Kinda, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And buddy. The, the final question is what do you want your impact to be on the world? I, I think one of the biggest impacts I want to, I would love to create is for all men to know that it's safe to express your emotions. You know, we are, we've always been told our whole lives that it's, you know, you don't show your emotions. And I think me just being the giant man that I am and the um, expressive that I am to just show people that if you're true to yourself and honest with yourself, that everything's going to be okay and it's okay to be who you are.